All right, good evening, everyone. It's a privilege to be here. Um, we're Josh and Carrie uh, Woodcock from Summersville, Missouri. I'm glad you all have the privilege of having Marcus and Gene in your congregation here. They're um, great friends of ours, and um, they moved into Summersville about six months before um, my accident and injury, and I had many supportive people and good church family, but Marcus and Gene were some of the ones on the top of the list and, you know, felt almost like step-parents sometimes. Um, not that mine had any lacks, but anyway. Um, all the children, Sunday school, school children, if you could raise your hand, I'd like to see how many children are here. Bunch of them. Lots of children. It's great. I love children. I love talking to children. Usually I use a different wheelchair and I'm a lot lower and I like talking to children. They're kind of more on my level and, and they ask neat questions and I'm glad you're here. I like children. Um, my medical records call me a, a C5 quadriplegic. Quadriplegic is simply someone that has all four of their limbs um, impaired in some way. Um, and the re what... The reason for that is um, my spinal cord is damaged at the fifth cervical vertebrae. And um, if you children, if you feel on the back of your neck, like the, those bumps on your neck or your vertebrae, the fifth one down from your skull is the, is the one that I broke when I had my accident. And um, before I go further, I'll kind of show you what does and doesn't work in my arms and hands. Um, I have pretty good uh, biceps and shoulder movement, um, but when I lift my arms up, I can't straighten them out, so I have to be careful lifting my arms up over my head, you know, where they'll fall back in on my head. I can raise my wrists like this, but when I turn my palms over, I can't, I can't raise my hands up. I don't have any finger function, like I, I can't move any of my fingers individually. Um, it kind of looks like it does sometimes, but when I but my hand relaxed, my fingers open up. When I raise my wrist, my fingers kind of naturally close. So that's about the only um, hand function I have. Um, Carrie's going to read um, Isaiah 40, verses 11 through 18. And it uh, kind of gives a, a nice uh, picture of, of God and the way he views us and the world and Okay, it says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he, hath, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing, and vanity. To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? Uh, I kind of like the way that 
describes God or the picture it gives of him, this big, um, huge, magnificent God that uh, made the world and the planets, and he kind of just put them out there where he wanted them. And, um, but the same God is a, one that will treat us like a shepherd does little lambs. Um, says he gathers them in his arms and um, carries us through our hard times. And um, that's kind of how God was at the time of my accident. And, um, you know, I don't really like to, to have to tell people how I got paralyzed because I was doing something really foolish, and it was my own fault. And I was, um, I was at Bible school, and uh, one of my, um, it was on a weekend, one of my cousins had come to visit me, and um, as after chorus practice, we uh, during the volleyball time, we went into town to to wash the car. My dad had a, a our BMW for um, us youth to to drive around. I had it at Bible school, and um, we went to town and washed the car, and we were coming back to Bible school, and and we got this um, foolish idea um, to see how fast it would go on this one hill outside of um, the town of Seymour. We thought it'd be fine, you know, we thought what can go wrong if we just go fast for a little bit. It was a nice long straight hill on the four-lane highway. It was about a half mile down the one side and a half mile up the other side. We thought, yeah, we'll just start at the top and see how fast it'll go at the bottom and we'll slow down going up the other side. And so that's what we did. Um, I got um, about to the bottom of the hill. I was going about 118 mile an hour, I think. And um, my rear tire blew out. And um, I was in the passing lane. When I pulled over in the driving lane, um, I kind of started losing control. And I uh, went down in the median. And um, it, was, it was winter time. It was kind of muddy and soft in the median. And the front tire sunk into the, into the ground. And um, the car started to flip from like end for end. I'm not sure if it went more than once or not. Um, the other foolish thing I did, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. Um, my cousin was, um, and I was thrown out of the car. Um, they believe I went out through the passenger's door. Um, the passenger's door latch uh, was broken. Front door was open and folded around the front fender of the car. And um, James, uh, my cousin, he said he felt me slide across his lap. Um, on the way out of the car. They figure I broke my neck um, when I hit the door. They figure um, they hit it with enough force that it, it broke the latch in uh, my neck as well. Um, the car landed on its wheels and uh, of course James, he got out right away and he came over and found me. I was face down um, in the mud and um, he rolled me over and my uh, eyes were rolled back and my teeth were clenched shut. And um, it was within minutes that uh, people started stopping in. Um, and one of the first two was a, was a pediatrics nurse um, uh, from the pediatrics intensive care. And the other one was a flight attendant from the Lifeline helicopter. And um, they started trying to do CPR on me, doing mouth to mouth. And, uh, but like I said, my teeth were clenched shut and they couldn't get any... Um, air into my mouth and so they uh, decided they had to do an emergency airway um, 
and um, the nurse said she had a she had a hunting knife in her car, and and this uh, flight attendant, um, he uh, he took got her hunting knife, and they um, they took a pen apart, just a regular ballpoint pen, um, screwed the end off, pulled the filler out, and um, he was trying to use that hunting knife. He had to make a hole in my throat where he could put that pen tube in that way he could breathe for me. And he said he's used to using a small scalpel, but this, this knife seemed really big, and it was kind of dull. And um, he was uh, trying to make a slit in my throat. He said he pushed in, it wouldn't go, and he was afraid it would go too far. And about that time, another lady showed up, and she said, hey, I'm a surgeon's assistant. Um, she said, I'll, I'll help you hold the right tension on the skin. So she kind of pulled my skin taut. And... Um, he made a little hole right beside my Adam's apple in the skin. And then he took that pen tube and he pushed in the hole and pushed it right through into my windpipe. And then he just knelt over there and he would blow in and out of that pen tube and, um, to keep me alive. And um, he said I was only taking about four breaths per minute. And um, in the accident, my, my, uh, my lungs had got really bruised and they were starting to get fluid in them. And um, he said that the blood was coming up in the pen tube and um, said he figured I only had probably about one or two more breaths left and he, he really thought I was going to die. Um, it was just within the last few seconds probably that the, he heard the, the sirens and the ambulances came into sight. And um, so they, they put me in the ambulance, put me, put a, gave me a breathing tube and could uh, stabilize me until the helicopter got there. Um, the guys on the ambulance crew, they said that they were on their way back from another call and headed right past the scene of the accident. And um, had they been at their stations when they got the call, that um, there wouldn't have been enough time to, for them to get there. Um, they took me to the hospital in, uh, in uh, Springfield. And I was there for uh, about... Uh, about two months. Um, we live about two hours uh, from the hospital, and uh, my dad and brothers were logging another hour on beyond, so they were about three hours away. Um, my sister had been uh, visiting the um, Bible school that day also, and um, of course she came in right away. And um, you know, probably the, I think the last memory I have of um, walking or standing up was um, when Ann came to visit me. I, I remember standing in the back of the Seymour Church there and uh, giving her a hug. And then after that, it's kind of blanked out. Um, because of the trauma and everything, they put me on sedation drugs uh, when I got to the hospital. And so my memory is blocked out from Friday afternoon um, until the following Wednesday was about the first day that I could start remembering things they had told me before. Um, I was, I was, uh, it was really kind of scary. Um, so I'd wake up and I, um, in the hospital and I, I couldn't move anything. And I, I knew I must be, have some type of uh, paralysis or something. I knew I'd been in an auto accident. Um, and I was really um, worried about uh, James, what happened to him. And... Um, I would ask my family what happened. They would kind of tell me, and I'd fall back to sleep, and I'd wake up the next time, and I couldn't remember. And, um, and I started being, I was afraid there was, that I had brain injury, too, because 
I knew I was asking the same questions over and over again, and and um, then I, I couldn't remember. Um, they couldn't do surgery on my neck right away because of the hole in my throat. They had to wait for it to heal up. Because afraid if they did surgery right away, put um, metal in my neck with a hole there that um, I could get infection, and they would have to go back and redo it. And um, so they put me in traction, and. Um, what that was, there was just a C-shaped bracket that would go over the top of my head. And it had bolts going in each side right into my temples, these screws. And then, um, and then they hooked up a, a weight to that. They had 15 pounds of weight on a cable that would hook to that bracket, went over the head of my bed and through a pulley and would just pull my neck straight and, um, so that it um, couldn't move until my throat healed up and they could do... Um, surgery and fuse my vertebrae together. Um, and um, it's kind of a funny story went along with that being in traction. Um, periodically they'd have to go in and, and tighten, come in and tighten up the, the, the screws in the side of my head there. And um, it was really gross. They would, um, when they would tighten it up, I could, they, it would kind of creak this the screws would make these creaking noise. It was tremendous pressure. It would feel like it was just squeezing my head. Um, it, it was re really kind of painful. And um, the one time they, they needed to, thought they needed to tighten them up, they sent these two guys in. And um, they just had this little hand toolbox. It looked like random tools off the clearance rack at Harbor Freight. And, you know, and I mean, they looked like guys that were from from groundskeepers or something. I mean, they did not look like people that should be doing that. And they were kind of joking and talking, and, and, um, and they started trying the different wrenches. You know, they kind of clang on there and just weren't being very careful. And, they, and I could tell that they didn't have the right wrench. And I don't know if it was metric on standard or one of the other, and they were thinking, oh, yeah, this should work, whatever. And, and uh, before I could say anything, they stuck that wrench on and they started um, tightening it down. And they got it tight, but then they couldn't get it back off. I mean, it was, it was stuck on there. And I thought, man, you know, I look bad enough the way it is, but with a wrench. Anyway, so um, next thing they start, they, the only way to get off it, they start trying to thump on it with the palm of their hand. And they just, you know... And um, yeah, I thought I was gonna start walking right there. But, I mean, I was like, man, I'm a human. I mean, I'm not a lawnmower or something. But um, another thing, being in ice in uh, in the intensive care there, they um, they had limits on how many people could visit and visiting hours and stuff. And um, in that um, section of the ICU, it was just all partitioned off with curtains. And um, some of the personnel in there were really nice. They let us kind of um, stretch the rules a little bit, I guess. Um, and they would let more people in than they, than they should, than, than what the, the regulations said. And I guess some of the other families in there, they got a little bit jealous because they'd start counting feet around my bed, and there was way too many feet for the people that were allowed in there. And so they started complaining and... Um, and um, so they, they put me in this in another room that had glass doors that could close off. 
um, like stained glass doors. And so more people could come in there and the other families didn't, um, couldn't tell. Um, but they would still leave me in there by myself sometimes between visiting hours, depending who, who was on shift, they wouldn't always let someone in there. Um, and um, during that time, my lungs were still, still um, drained quite a bit. They'd put, they um, had drains in there, but they would also, they'd have to suction my lungs because and uh, because they would start filling up with fluid and be hard to breathe, they'd just kind of gurgle when I'd uh, try and breathe, and it, was, it would feel like I was starting to suffocate. Um, they had this um, kind of gross way of suctioning my lungs out. I have this little, little um, real small surgical tubing, and, and they would, uh, I think they had suction a couple feet long, but they would feed it up through my nose, stick it up my nose, and it would go all the way up down my throat, down into my lungs, then they'd put suction to it and just vacuum this stuff out. Um, but they, this tubing would come in packages where it was all coiled up in a, in a package. And if they didn't uncoil it right, if they didn't get it straightened out, when they'd feed it up through there, it would just come out into my mouth. And they wouldn't always watch, and if they came out in my mouth and they put suction to it, I could hardly breathe the way it was. And I had none at all, and, and I couldn't gesture or do anything, so, um, I mean, it, for the first while, I was completely paralyzed from the neck down. I couldn't move. I could wiggle my one wrist a little bit, but I mean, I couldn't do nothing. Um, and so I would tell them that if I start blinking my eyes, then pull it out. You know, don't don't put suction to it. Um, and sometimes they did. Sometimes they didn't. Um, we saved one of their tubings one time, and I would just get my siblings to do it for me. Um, depending who is on, on call. Um, but uh, one time uh, while I was behind those glass doors, they were closed off. Usually they would leave them open a little bit. I could get someone's attention, but this one time they were shut. And um, I was in there by myself and I was starting to get, um, my lungs were kind of filling up and I, I could hardly breathe. I would try and call for help a little bit. Um, but if I say something very loud, it would just, it would just, I would start choking. And, um, and um, I, was, I was getting kind of scared because I just could hardly breathe at all. And um, Carrie's going to tell a story about the one time when I was getting pretty scared. So this is one of my favorite stories about Josh when he was in the hospital. So like he said, he was in the room with the glass doors in the ICU. And he woke up hardly able to breathe, and his lungs needed to be suctioned. And he still wasn't able to push a call button. And he tried calling for help numerous times, and none of the nurses could hear him. And he couldn't call very loud without choking on the fluid. And every time a nurse would walk past the closed doors, he would just feel a little closer to suffocating. And suddenly, he could just see himself laying in his hospital bed, and he could see the screws on the side of his head and the traction mechanism. And Josh felt like he was up in the corner of his room, and he was looking down. And as he was looking around, he realized a large hand was holding him, and he could see the creases in the palm. And he could look down between the big fingers, and he could breathe just fine. And then within a few moments, he was back in his body on the hospital bed, and a nurse was there ready to section his lungs. And Josh says he knows without a doubt it was the hand of God. The other thing I dealt with a lot... Um, 
was just a lot of regret and embarrassment, a lot of shame and fear of what people were thinking and saying. Um, I'm just kind of dreading when uh, other Bible school students would come in and visit me, you know. Um, I would imagine what they were thinking and feeling. Um, I thought here was this guy that was um, driving crazy and had a wreck and got himself paralyzed. Um, you know, they would want to come in and sing, and I just, uh, I appreciate, I liked when they would come in and visit. I liked when my friends would come visit, but I just, I didn't really like when they would come in and sing for me. Um, some of the times I would have to cry, and um, it was kind of embarrassing too. You know, I, I couldn't even um, wipe my tears away, or if they'd come over meal time, you know, I couldn't feed myself. Someone would have to feed me, and, and, um, while I was in traction, you know, I was, my head was kind of tipped back. And um, when I would cry, my tears would run back in my ears and um, I couldn't do anything about it. Or if my face would get itchy, you know, if someone scratch it, you know, it was just, um, didn't like having people see how, how helpless I was. Um, our surgeon that I had was a, a really talented surgeon, but um, it seemed like Somewhere along the line in his um, medical schooling, he traded in all of his people skills for his surgical skills. And um, he, was just, he was really um, blunt, and um, he gave a really grim prognosis um, when I first was in there. Um, and he, he came out and told, people right, told my family right away that, you know, there was uh, a... I would never walk again, and he said my uh, my spinal cord just looked like a frayed cable, and there was bone chips stuck in it, and I'd need to be in a halo, and which is a big framework instead of a regular neck brace. And um, thankfully, things weren't quite as bad as what he had thought. Um, my spinal cord wasn't frayed or anything like that. It was it was just uh, compressed. Uh, C5 had slid forward on C6 and just pinched it down halfway, and, um, and I didn't need to wear a halo, I just needed a, a regular neck brace. Um, and uh, after a couple of weeks, when they did surgery, I was able to start doing um, therapy and go into the rehab floor. And uh, my therapy to start with was just trying to feed myself. Um, my, I couldn't, my wrists would just hang like this, so they had splints I would wear all the time to hold my wrists straight. And um, they would just stick a piece of silverware, just stick it in inside my um, brace there and my arms. I was starting to get, you know, they would exercise. I would just get a little bit of shoulder movement where I could just move my shoulder a little bit. And um, they would hold, brace my elbow up where it was just bicep movement where I could just try and get a little bit of food to my mouth. Um, and I'd have to lay back, and um, um, it was real hard to eat without uh, making a mess. Um, but I would try, they'd make me eat it, take a few bites if I could, and then they would finish feeding me. Um, I remember being in the uh, wheelchair for the first time was, um, was really hard. Um, you know, when I was laying in bed there, I knew I was, I knew I was paralyzed, um, but it didn't, it didn't really feel like it. It just felt like I was real sick, you know. Um, I couldn't move anything, but you know, thought maybe, maybe that maybe that will start coming back. 
Um, but I remember the first time when they when they transferred me into a wheelchair, um, um, they had a power wheelchair and they made this bracket on the joystick where I could just lay my wrist in there. I could just wiggle my wrist a little bit, just enough to, to drive it myself. Um, I remember going out of my room and going down the hall, going past the nurse's station, having uh, them see me in the wheelchair. I didn't want anyone to, to see me that way. Um, another thing that they would uh, that they would work on was just having me sit up without uh, fainting. Um, in the morning, they would just start elevating my bed a little bit, and um, I'd just have to sit up for a little bit and lay down, sit up and lay down before I could get in a wheelchair um, without fainting. Um, One of the things that I um, also remember was just being so anxious to go home. Um, I wanted to go home so bad, but uh, at the same time, I was kind of afraid of going out in public or um, being seen in a wheelchair. Um, they let me go home um, for kind of a trial to see how it would work um, being at home. Uh, they wanted me to, to take a power wheelchair home, and... Um, they said I couldn't go. I couldn't go home until I had a power wheelchair, but they wouldn't let me go home with that until I had a ramp on the house. Um, and so I told them that I didn't. I didn't want the power wheelchair. I wanted to um, try using a manual one if I could. And um, by that time, I kind of got gross um, shoulder movement. Um, and somebody brought in a, a wheelchair that they would um, just for a loaner that I could use for a while. And um, it was an old, ugly, clumsy wheelchair. Um, the foot plates would, would flip up straight. I could straighten my legs out so that my blood pressure wouldn't drop down so bad. Um, and it had this big, tall backrest. I went all the way up above my head, and I'd have to wear two seat belts because I didn't have any balance at all. If I would start leaning one side, I would just fall over. And, um, and the therapist there, he made these... Uh, this projections um, that this moldable plastic. They had these big, ugly, knobby things he made all around the push rings that I could kind of push myself. I couldn't go very far, but I mean, like I could, I could move it all across the room or a little bit or around the house a little bit. But I pretty much had to be pushed everywhere I went. And um, and no, no wheelchair is is very cool or nice, but this one was kind of in a class of its own. And I, I envisioned that it was kind of like something that David might have used to push Mephibosheth around the palace or something. <laughs> and, and so um, that's what I went home with. I think there's actually a picture of it on those brochures somewhere in there. Um, but, and I remember, you know, after I went home, my siblings and family, they wanted me to go everywhere. And I didn't want to go anywhere. I just wanted to stay at home. Um, my, my family was, uh, I think they might have been youth sponsors, I'm not sure. But I remember the first youth, um, youth function I went to was a social at Marcus and Jean's house. And, um, and so the family, they, they took me along. I went over there. And um, I, I was having real bad um, blood pressure and fainting problems that evening. And so I had my feet propped up, sticking straight out in front of me. And... Um, they wheeled me in there, took me into, into Marcus's house. Um, of course, they had to lift me up the, up 
people's steps in there. And uh, the problem is once I get in somewhere, I was stuck. I mean, I couldn't move. I couldn't go anywhere myself. And, um, and things would just, just randomly hit me. Um, I could be feeling fine all of a sudden. Just certain things would just trigger my emotions, and I would just, I could tell I was going to start crying. And, um, and so I would, uh, I knew I either had to laugh or cry. And so I got good at making jokes. Um, my mom and sisters didn't really appreciate all my wheelchair and paralyzed jokes, but they probably didn't know that I was just doing it to, just to keep myself from, from crying. Um, but I, I clearly remember that evening. It seemed like just all evening I had to just keep talking to people, and, and um, was, I was just on the edge of crying um, all evening. Through that first year, I went to therapy like an um, outpatient. My sister would take me four days a week um, to a place about an hour and a half away. And um, I would do therapy, and on the days I was at home, she would work with me. Um, and they would, um, I did all kinds of just seemingly, seemingly menial things. Um, and it really bothered me that I was at home and um, not helping in the woods. I uh, felt like I was kind of being a, a drag on the family. Uh, didn't th- seem like anything I did was really grand. I wasn't really gaining a lot of function. Seemed like I was just trying to get used to using the stuff that I had, um, so it didn't. It felt like a lot of work for not a, not a lot of gain. Um, a year later, I went to uh, to an inpatient rehab center up in uh, Columbia, Missouri, um, and I was kind of glad to be there because it was right over Bible school again, and um, I knew a bunch of my friends would be coming back from out of state, people from Oregon, and they'd want to come visit me. And I still was not used to being in a wheelchair. I loved going to church. Um, church was kind of my safe place, um, seeing my own church people. But I, just meeting new people or going anywhere, I, I just was not comfortable with it. And, um, and I knew that being up in Columbia was too far away from Bible school for anyone to come visit me. So it felt like I could kind of hide away up there. And it was also good uh, for me to be up there because there was... There was a lot of other guys, um, a number of other guys around my age with similar injuries. Um, and where I had been going inpatient or for outpatient therapy, um, I was like the worst one there. I was about the only guy in a wheelchair. Um, and um, when I was in Columbia, you know, I saw a lot of guys that were kind of loners. Their family didn't show up. They didn't have any support. Um, People would come visit them a little bit to start, you know, maybe for the first little bit while they were there, and then pretty soon they were they were on their own, and um, they were all kind of jealous of me. That um, I had uh, all weekend, I always had visitors, and they would bring food up, and they would smell the food that came into my room, and um, and even my brothers and the youth guys. Sometimes in the middle of the week, you know, they knock off work early, and they drive three hours up there, and um, spent a couple hours with me and three hours back home, and and um, it seemed like I I always had visitors uh, more than them. And while I was up there in uh, Columbia, they uh, hooked me up with a company that would uh, modify a vehicle for me, 
I got a truck uh, modified and kind of helped me get back to driving. And, and um, they wanted me to, to go back to school and get a, get a degree and um, do an office job somewhere. But I told them I didn't really want to. Um, I, wanted to I wanted to try going back to work in the woods with my family. Um, and they didn't think it was very wise of me. Um, they were pretty plain about it, too. They told me I was crazy for um, trying it, but I, I, I told them I didn't know if I could, but I, I wanted to try it anyway. So they told me about a paralyzed guy that uh, modified his excavator. Um, and so I went and looked at his, what he had done. Um, he, was a, he had an injury similar to mine. He was a quadriplegic, and um, he had made this, um, this homemade lift system for his excavator. He had just made kind of like a, a two-stage or collapsible track system um, with, a, with just a four-wheeler winch on the end of it. And he had welded it up, into the, up in the ceiling of his excavator. This winch would slide out the door and um, let a cable down. And in the, when he got up in the mornings, he just would put, um, he had this uh, sling, basically. It's kind of like a, I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with like these Hoyer lifts or um, hospital lifts they have, but you sit on a sling and they'll hook, it, hook up the lift. And um, so he would do that, sit on, put that in his wheelchair in the morning. And uh, when he got out to his excavator, he would just hook the winch up to it and he'd winch himself up and slide him in, put him in the, in the operator's seat. And so we did that with... Um, with um, one of our knuckle boom loaders. I know I couldn't drive a skidder or, or a cutting machine. So I had to kind of stay in one spot. And um, we made so that the, the front, the windshield and the front grate would hinge out and this thing would slide out the very front um, of the cab. And um, I could just pull my truck up in the morning right under the boom and this winch would roll out and um, I could run the lift out on my truck, and they would let the they let the cable down and winch me right up into the winch me up and put me in the factory seat, um, and they could just get in my truck and pull it off to the side and leave me there. And I knew I had to be easy to work with, or they could just go home and leave me there. Um, they also um, modified the joysticks so I could just set my hands in there. I didn't have to grab the joystick hands, I could just use my wrists to, to operate the functions. They um, made so it was all hand controls instead of uh, foot controls too. I think there's pictures of that in there too. Um, it took a while to modify the first one. They'd uh, work for a couple weeks and then we'd take a week off and work on the loader. And um, y'all know there's not a lot of money in logging so you can't take off too long to modify equipment for an operator that it's probably going to be kind of sketchy anyway, but and um, but I gained a lot of strength running loader. I think it was good for me in a lot of ways. Um, but it was also good for me for my mind too, um, being able to contribute to um, felt like I was contributing to the family again. And I think one of the reasons that I really liked um, running loader so much too is just getting out of the wheelchair and feeling more normal. You know, when I'm sitting in the loader, I'm not in a wheelchair, it, it feels a little more normal. I'm doing the same thing the other guys are doing. Uh, it feels like I have a, a little bit of my old life back that 
I'm still doing what I did. I'm just doing it in a different way. Um, and it was also good um, just to be out there with them, be outside, and um, gave me a lot of opportunities. I could uh, I could talk to God too. And um, you know, my my difficulties are pretty obvious. It's easy to see see what what's wrong or that there's something wrong with me. Um, but you know. I thought about it a lot that, you know, when I'm out in the loader, people can't see that I'm paralyzed. Um, foresters or people come out, um, they don't know. Um, they see the mods on my truck and they wonder what they're for and my brothers would tell them that I'm paralyzed and, you know, um, they'd be kind of surprised. And I thought, you know, it's probably the way it is for a lot of other people. They're going through a lot of hard things that none of the rest of us see. Yeah, you know, we all have hard things to deal with. Um, and some things are, are um, maybe hard, harder than a physical disability. Maybe it's not even in our lives. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's grief over, over family members. Um, you know, somebody's soul that isn't, isn't um, ready to spend eternity um, with God is, is, um, can be more devastating than a, than a physical injury. And, um, you know, since I've been paralyzed, there's been times and other things I've gone through that, you know, been just about as hard to, hard to deal with as being paralyzed in it and made me more, more aware of, um, of some of the sadness and hurts that are, that are right around us that we don't see. You know, some people, uh, wondered sometimes, you know, about, about my regrets about, uh, driving fast. And, you know, I often do, um, think about it, I think, you know, maybe my accident would have been less severe, maybe not have had one at all. Um, but, you know, I think um, my, my regrets, my biggest regrets in life are probably similar to the rest of y'all's too. Times that uh, I went against my parents' wishes um, or the church, or that I was a bad example to my um, younger siblings and you know maybe it's easy to think sometimes you know is it really that wrong to, um, for speeding if it's not wrong to speed a little bit why would it be wrong to to speed a lot you know and your driving is a responsibility and a privilege and you know when you're driving at higher speeds there's a lot um, bigger danger and threat of um to other people. You know, I'm fortunate that I didn't hit and injure or kill someone else or my cousin or myself. Um, you know, I wasn't ready to I wasn't ready to die at that time. I don't think any would be anybody would be, even if their life was right, uh, driving a speed like that. If, um, I don't think that's something that gotta be pleased with. And you know, um, Before my accident, um, I thought I was mostly good. But, you know, I had purity problems. And I didn't um, always follow the church um, standards the way I should have. And, you know, you would think that after a, a life-changing event um, like I had, that a guy would just kind of get his life straightened out and um, stay right with God all the time. 
Um, but I didn't. You know, I had some of the same problems, some of the same issues I had before. I struggled with the same things afterward. And I would feel so horrible about myself. I knew that, you know, that God had given me a second chance. I look back and I imagine sometimes maybe it must have been um, so frustrating to God too. You know, maybe sometimes it seems like he would just want to just, just maybe shake me and, and, you know, say, son, what are you thinking? What are you doing? You know, I gave you a second chance. Um, you know, it literally pulled me back from the, from the edge of hell and, and gave me another chance. First Thessalonians uh, 5.17, simple verse, pray without ceasing. You know, I think um, part of prayer is just, uh, is, uh, just talking to God, communing with him. It's kind of having a daily open dialogue with God. You know, it helped me a lot um, to get in the habit of just talking to God and kind of telling him everything. Um, I could do that a lot while I, was, um, while I was out there in the woods, while I was in the loader. No one was around. No one could hear me. Um, and, you know, um, while I was at home, I had to be a little bit more um, creative and getting off by myself. Um, one thing I would do a lot was go stretch my back. Um, if I would just um, put my feet up on the bed and fold over, put my head between my knees and stretch my back, um, I would do that frequently. And sometimes um, I would just go in in the evenings or something, I would just go in and stretch my back because the real reason was because um, I knew I, I was going to start crying. And so I could do that and no one could really tell. They could come in and check on me if I was stretching longer than normal and ask if I was okay and um, they couldn't tell and my face was down between my knees. Um, you know, when you're really frustrated or discouraged or you need someone to, to blow off to or talk to, you know, sometimes it's good just to go on a walk or a drive and just talk to God out loud like you would to your parents or grandpa or best friend. There's something about voicing your troubles and putting them into words. And one of the great things about God, you know, that you can talk to him anytime, anywhere, and he always listens all the way through to the end. He doesn't butt in or defend the other side. Um, and for me, often it would help if I could talk to God out loud. Sometimes when things just roll around in, in, um, in our minds, Everything kind of runs together, and it kind of gets jumbled together. And um, if I can talk talk out loud, then when I can hear myself talking, it's easier to sort through um, my problems and to maybe hear how ridiculous some of the things that I'm worried about sound. You know, being part of a church family is a real privilege, too. Um, throughout my different... Um, hospital stays and um, places I did rehab. Like I mentioned before, people that were um, alone and didn't have anyone to talk to. Other paralyzed guys that I've met um, since then, um, they're small circles of friends. Um, they're split up marriages. They're aloneness. Um, it's often uh, been a reminder of what a privilege it is to be raised in a Christian home and have the churches and the um, the support that we have.
I love the song, uh, Mercy's Free. There's a couple of phrases in it that describe what God did for me at my accident really well. It says, did Christ, when I was sin-pursuing, pity me, pity me? And did he snatch my soul from ruin? Can it be, can it be? I also like the chorus in the one version of Reach Out to Jesus. It says, reach out to Jesus with love he's reaching out to you. He's so sympathetic, understanding, kind, and true. His touch will heal you. His love will really make you whole. But why not reach out to Jesus and he will satisfy your soul? Yeah, he may not heal all our ailments and sicknesses, but he can heal the holes in our hearts and the feelings of sadness and discouragement. You know, after all the miracles God did for me and the good things he gave me, um, he brought Carrie into my life yet too, and aside from saving my soul and then my life, um, she's probably about the best thing that's happened to me. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Carrie Woodcock, and I used to be Carrie Mishler. I'm originally from Seymour, Missouri, um, which is about an hour away from Somersville, Missouri, which is where we now live. And I met Josh when he came to speak at a Bible school I was attending. Um, I shouldn't say I met him because I didn't actually talk to him. I was too scared to. He seemed like a really popular person that had a lot of other people around him after the service. So it wasn't till later that I actually got to meet him. I was teaching school at the time in Seymour. And I had gotten a break to go to Bible school with two of my sisters. I really didn't want to go that year, but somehow they convinced me to go with them. And I didn't really know Josh at all, besides that he had been, I knew he had been in a, uh, in a wheelchair. He was in a wheelchair because of a bad car accident. And I remember discussing him with some of my friends before he came to give his talk. And what I don't remember was what one of my friends reminded me after we started dating. She says that I mentioned to her that I thought he was kind of cute. So, anyway, the first time I actually talked to him was when his dad had broken his hip and he was in the hospital. And my family went to visit um, his dad because my parents knew his parents. And the hospital wasn't far from where we lived. And Josh happened to be in there and we got there. And then when we were at the hospital, my mom um, invited Josh over for supper if he, was if he ever went through Seymour. And he said he did um, about once, um, once a month. Uh, he went to Springfield for wound care. And so my mom just kept inviting him for supper, and my family and I became well acquainted with him and started to really like him, and he became a good family friend. And his story was so good that I invited him to come talk to my school students. They loved it, and then I invited his youth group over for volleyball, and then my younger siblings started to go with him to the doctor. And I liked him, but I thought, oh, he's, he's just a good friend. And then one day, um, my friend Melissa asked me, what are you going to tell him when he asks you out on a date? And I was floored. He's not going to, I sputtered, but I thought and prayed about it. Um, what was I going to say? Did he have the qualities I was looking for in a husband? Um, is it so important that he can walk? Is, it, um, is he godly? How will he treat me? One thing I did know is that I would rather have someone who would treat me well and not be able to walk than someone who could walk perfectly and might treat me like trash. So about a month later, Josh asked to court me, and he had talked to my parents before and then made sure it was also okay with my siblings. And we started dating and had so much fun. Um, it wasn't without its worries and bumps, though. 
we, found, we faced a lot of things that probably most normal couples face, just like the worry, what are my friends gonna think of him? And also I wasn't used to checking ahead of time to make sure the places we planned to go were wheelchair accessible or had ramps or were paved. Um, Josh has an interesting story to tell about a police that helped us one time. Yeah, one time we were going on a date. It was on a Saturday morning. Um, and I was uh, coming up to an intersection and uh, the low oil light came on in, on my truck. And um, right across the intersection, there was a state trooper sitting there. And so I just pulled around beside him and, and uh, rolled down my window. And, um, and I said, hey, uh, I'm in a wheelchair in here. Could, could you check my oil? And um, he probably didn't believe me because my truck, you can't really tell it's modified you know, when it's closed up. And so he kind of, he's like, oh no, uh, uh, liability and uh, uh, we, we can't do anything like that. And um, I said, okay, well, can you at least show my girlfriend where the dipstick was? And he uh, looked forward and then we saw her and she got out and walked around and when he saw her, he, you know, kind of, he gets out and straightens up and then I had to run the doors out on my truck to, um, so they could pop the hood. And um, so he, she was going to check the oil. And he said, oh, oh no, you, you'll get your clothes all dirty. And so he checks the oil three times and shows her, you know, how to do it. And, and, um, and it, was, it was like a quart low. I said, well, there's, there's a jug of oil in the back. And um, so I went back there and looked. And the jug was kind of dirty from being in the back. And, and um, he said, oh, you know, you'll get your hands dirty. And he didn't want to touch it either, I guess. So. So he gets out his cell phone and um, he said, oh, there's a service station up the road. Um, so I'll just, I'll just call them. And this was pretty early in the morning. It was on Saturday before they open, even opened. He said, well, I know the guy. And so he called the guy up on his cell phone and got him to come open early. And then he escorted us up there and um, got a new jug of oil and added it for us. And I thought, man, I'm going to take her everywhere. <laughs> I taught another year of school, and then we got married on August 15th, 2020, in the middle of COVID. Missouri wasn't too strict on COVID regulations, so we were privileged to have 600 people at our wedding. For our honeymoon, we went 1,000 miles to Nevada. It was kind of scary, as we had never gone that far by ourselves before, but I know God worked everything out perfectly, because all went well, and Josh was able to go on an antelope hunt and shot a big antelope. Um, amazingly... We didn't have to have any outside help the first year we were married. And the second year we were married definitely had it, a lot more challenges. We, go, uh, we both got COVID for about a week, and I was actually sicker than him. I was worried because um, his diaphragm doesn't have full function. And I wasn't sure if he'd be able to breathe okay. But again, God was so good in just giving him a light case. And then in January of 2020, I had knee surgery. Um, three years before that, I'd injured my knee playing soccer with my students and it kept getting worse and worse. And my knee kept, kept popping out of place again and again, and I would have to push it back in. And I think I tore my ACL from all of that happening. And then in December of 2021, earlier, I tore both of my meniscus in my knee. So Josh and I were both in wheelchairs for a while. Um, I did use crutches too, some. The surgery was able to fix all that, but the recovery was more major than we'd expected, and I was down for a while. 
for about a month, his brothers came to help him, and my mom and sisters came to help me. And I guess it was good for my pride to have people help us out. And like I said, the recovery from surgery was major, with nine months of painful therapy. Right after surgery, my quad muscle wasn't working, so we had to shock, shock it to activate it. And then we focused on getting my range of motion back and strengthening it. And now I'm pretty much back to normal with only kneeling being a little painful. And then in June of 2022, Josh had tailbone surgery. He had infected bone that they were able to remove, but it left a hole big enough to set a pop cannon. And they sent us home with a pick line and a wound vac. And thankfully, Josh had this standing chair as he couldn't and still can't sit down very long. This isn't his regular wheelchair, uh, but we're so glad for it. He had a setback a few months ago um, when bone chips started working their way up to the surface. We're not sure why, but thankfully they stopped. Um, he also had issues with blisters and sores on his feet, so he has to be careful not to stand too long. I would say he's probably 80% healed from the surgery, so hopefully in another two or three months he can go back to work in the woods. Um, in all these things, God has been there, and he has been good. Sometimes, uh, since we've been married, people um, kind of ask us, you know, how are things going, you know, with, um, they have kind of a, they seem kind of concerned, and um, I don't blame them. Um, but, you know, I thought probably the things that make a relationship peaceful or stressful or, are um, similar, whether it's uh, able-bodied people or whether there's a disability involved. You know, a few of the things that, um, that um, I found to be kind of a, be important or helpful um, for us is just um, being willing to help and to do what I can. Um, and uh, and to be open to suggestions, you know. Um, I I thought I would try and do whatever I could um, when I was at home before we were married. Um, but um, afterward, you know, sometimes uh, Carrie would, um, um, when we were thinking of things to do or um, doing housework, whatever, she'd um, wonder if I could um, do certain things and you know, sometimes I thought I could and I couldn't, and sometimes I didn't think I could, and here I actually, I actually could. Uh, one thing, for instance, um, that I learned to do is like um, mopping the floors and um, cleaning bathrooms. You know, I can, I can clean sink and toilet and stuff. Um, if I can navigate brushes and rags and stuff, all right. And I'm like mopping the floors. Um, she has one of those um, mops that has like a, like a squeeze bottle on it that gets your mop wet. And um, so um, I figured out if I put a shoelace or some type of lanyard through the end of it, I can wrap it around my wrist and basically tight my wrist. And, and I run it upside down where the lever is sticking up. I can use my other hand to squeeze it. And um, I just go around backwards and mop the floors. works pretty well. Um, just little things like that. Uh, being considerate of our differences and uh, and learning to appreciate them, you know. When we we're um, before we were married, um, we got on the subject of being a morning or evening person, and Carrie said that she was not a morning person, 
And, um, and I, I am. And I thought, oh man, how's, how's that going to work out? Um, but you know, um, it's really had its benefits. Uh, one example is um, um, my wound care in the evenings. You know, usually in the evenings um, after my shower is when we redress my wounds and stuff. And um, there's just something after I get a get a shower, and if I'm lay down on the lay down on the bed, um, it is really hard for me to um, stay awake. And I I try to, and um, but often I'll fall asleep, or sometimes even in the middle of a conversation, I will start not making sense, and um, I'll wake up, and she'll be there um, finishing up my dressing my wounds and listening to inspirational music or something. And, and I, um, I think about it, I think, man, you know, what would it be like if, if she was like me? Um, being thankful and saying thank you for everything she does for me, um, no matter how um, common or small it may be. Um, when we have to talk about things that are less than ideal, uh, try starting and ending in a positive or hopeful way. Um, when something is frustrating or bothering me, Carrie can usually tell, and it's always good to be reassuring that it's not something about her. Often when I apologize and feel bad for how long everything takes in the evening, uh, Carrie will remind me that she likes helping me and it gives us more time together that we might not otherwise have. Um, I have a few objects here that um, I'll just kind of demonstrate how I um, manipulate them. I don't know if you can raise that up a little higher or not. There you go. Yeah, that's good. Uh, you just pull it back here a little closer. I'll start with this splint. They call this a, a tenodesis splint. And um, basically, it, it's off of um, it operates off of me um, raising my wrist and what it does it holds my um, forefinger and thumb stationary and then when I r relax my wrist it opens up and when I raise my wrist it it um, closes it up and I can use this um, for like self-care or manipulating small objects. It's like when I drop my wrist, it opens up. When I raise it, it pinches together. So I used to use it a lot. I've kind of learned how to navigate um, some things without using it. Um, one was, uh, was shaving. Like um, we try and use that to hold a razor, but or I used an electric razor for a while. Um, now I just use a, a regular razor, um, and um, I can just hold it with two hands. I can shave all right. Um, for uh, shaving the back of my neck, I figured if I put it between my um, when I pull when I pull my wrist up, my thumb pushes my index finger against the second one, and um, if I figured if I put my razor between my fingers, I can use that to shave the back of my neck. Um, that's the same way that I. Um, use a spoon. Um, for a while I would um, put a piece of foam over it um, where I could grab something bigger, but figured out if I put my spoon between my thumb and forefinger I can 
use it all right to, to eat. Sometimes I have to chase my food around my plate a couple times, but it works. Um, coffee mug. Um, if I put my thumb through the loop and um, just let it, and let it hang that way, I usually don't fill my mug all the way full because when I pick it up, it kind of tips it to the side. So I always ask for half a cup of coffee or whatever. I have to be careful with um, with drinking hot stuff because um, my feeling is split in my hands and arms, like on the back side of my arms and the outsides of my hands, I have, I have very little feeling. Um, I can feel I'm against something, but I can't tell if it's hot or cold or what it is. So I have to be careful not to burn my hands. Um, like a water glass, if it's a metal glass or something, I can just put, I can hold it pretty good if they're tapered. Um, but I, use, I, I can't fill them all the way full either because I have to kind of hold them at an angle. I hold them straight, they're too heavy and they'll slide out, but if I kind of hold them like that, it, I can use a regular glass pretty well. Um, um, for typing, I do most of the uh, book work or pretty much all the book work for, um, at work. Um, like I said, my dad and brothers and I, we have a logging and sawmill business. We have some Amish guys that work for us sawing our lumber. And um, I tried using a regular computer um, with a mou regular mouse. I just didn't work very well. So I use a laptop computer and I can just use a scroll pad. It works pretty good. And um, for typing, if I just hold a pen between my thumb and index finger, if I use the ones that have grippy rubber on the bottom, I have this special brand of pen that has extra grippy rubber and I just order them by the box online and I can use that to type with. Um, my truck keys, they modified um, the keys for my truck and they made my key kind of kind of L-shaped. So just use a piece of plumber's tape and folded it over and bolted it on there. And um, to start my truck, if I just hang my uh, key, my remotes over the back of my hand and, and just shove my key into the ignition and um, and I'll just use my knuckle to, to start, the, start my truck. Um, I also have a bracket kind of like the, like um, those modified joysticks that are on that brochure. I have that on my steering wheel of my truck. And um, they reduce the effort steering a little bit. Um, but I just set my hand in there and I can just use it kind of like a ball on a steering wheel. Um, my gas and brake or lever on the, on, the, on the steering column, push it forward for brake and down for the gas. And I can pretty much get the other um, secondary controls by my, Self, I can hit the signal lever, the cruise and stuff. Um, my first truck was r really modified. I had all kinds of extra stuff. I had push buttons, start, and um, buttons for shifting it and everything, and electronic gas and brake, and that stuff all caused problems. So over time, my brothers helped me tear it all out and put manual stuff in and caused a lot less problems. Um, cutting my hair is another thing. I always like cutting my own hair. Um, 
after my injury. Um, mom was giving me haircuts again, but uh, it took a little while. I figured out um, I could use a regular hair clipper, and if I hang on to it, if I hold my hand kind of like this and have the, the hair clipper hang on to it way down by the guard, and um, if I lean over, if I kind of run my, my head through the clipper instead of the clipper through my hair, I feel a little bit like, a, like an ostrich trying to put its head in the sand. Especially my other chair, if I lean way over, you know, it, it works pretty good that way. Um, let's see, is there anything else? I think that's pretty much it. Um, Carrie's going to read a, a poem yet, and then I'll open it up for, uh, for questions for me or her. So. It's called Pray Without Ceasing. In darkest hours of deep despair and when you're burdened down with care, when family's gone and friends are far, when God seems out beyond a star, when death has taken loved ones dear, when all you seem to feel is fear, when all your dreams have crashed and burned and people seem so unconcerned, Jesus says, don't cease to pray. I've been right with you all the way. I love you far more than you know and I've gone through the things you go. I died for you upon that cross. My friends ran off. I felt such loss. It brings me pain when you are sad. Please let me be your second dad. If young or old, at work or play, I always hear the things you say. Whenever something steals your peace, please tell me and never cease. Just keep calling out, keep holding on. Just talk to me as you walk on. Anyone have any questions? Um, my cousin, he, um, he broke the small bone in his right, um, ankle or his small, uh, behind your shin bone, I guess. Um, he had to wear a, a brace for a while, ankle brace, and he had really bad abrasions on his, across his stomach from the seatbelt. Um, pretty painful for a while, but he was okay. Anything else? Um, yeah, we uh, we remodeled the back half of uh, the house we live in. It's an older house. Built a ramp on the front, and then the back hallway, bedroom, bathroom. We pretty much gutted it and made a rolling shower and an open bathroom and a bigger open floor bedroom. But yeah. My brothers and some friends, church people, her dad, they come over and for about 10 weekends in a row, they would take off on Fridays and work on it. So I had quite the wedding gift, I guess. <laughs> um. It was uh, kind of the summer of '05, so it was about a year and a half before I went went back to work. So I was still pretty weak, you know. I could, I 
just even run motor run joysticks, I'd go out there and I'd have to quit early and go home and um they made the they made so they could switch it back to factory controls. They could open a couple of valves, um, turn the hydraulics on for my controls, and they switch it back to factory so they didn't have to get used to my way of doing it. So tell us a bit about what it took to come to grips with that you would never be the same and, and finding new purpose in life for being who you were. Yeah, I don't know. That, that took a, quite a long time. And yeah, I wasn't always realistic about stuff to start with. I just had it in my mind that, you know, I'm going to walk again sometime. And I would dream, in my dreams, I was always walking again. I thought, you know, surely God's just going to heal me sometime. And um, maybe one of them was, uh, was um, I was listening to this, uh, this seminars or meetings. I'm not sure this one uh, minister, I was listening to him at work, and um, he was talking about uh, going through hard things and, and being thankful for them. And he said, you know, try thanking God for the hard thing that's going on in your life. And... Um, and I'd, I'd kind of gotten in the habit of just, just talking to God like normal. And I told him, I told God what I was listening to, and, and I told him that I just, I'm thankful for what you did for me, for sparing my life, giving me a second chance. But, you know, I said, God, you know everything. I'm not going to try and lie to you. I'm not thankful for being paralyzed. And I hate being paralyzed and being in a wheelchair and being different. And, um, and, you know, I just kept thinking about it. It seemed like God kept working on me a lot and where I would just try saying it. And just, um, I couldn't, I would just keep thinking about that for weeks, I guess. And, um, and it seemed like God kind of helped me, showed me where my life may have gone if I hadn't gotten paralyzed um, the stuff that I struggled with, and you know, I started thinking about, you know, if I hadn't gotten paralyzed, you know, um, I probably would have gone, gotten married if I'd have gotten married the way I was. Um, what kind of a disaster of a husband or a father or home I could have been. Um, and then for sure, after we got married, I thought, you know, man, if I, you know, would have ever met Carrie, and I just, it seemed like God kind of has a, just this kind way of kind of slowly bringing us around the curve, and maybe showing us where we would have been. I think also, maybe different things I listened to, but, um, and um, I thought, you know, me being, when, when we go through painful things, um, I think it's just, it's harder on God than it is on us. And um, the, the, the painful things, the inner pain, um, was it hurt God just as much. I don't think he wanted to see me suffer, but I knew that it was for my eternal good. I guess just, I often drive through that, through that stretch of road every time I go to her folks' place. It's just, it's just down the road from her folks' uh, gravel road. And every time I go through there, it just, Makes me 
think again, you know, there could be a cross in the ditch and where would I be? You know, it's nothing. It's been 19 years now. And if I would have died and gone to hell, you know, um, what I've, my pain and um, hardship now is, is nothing compared to what I would be going through. And it wouldn't have even started. You know, eternity is just uncomprehendable. Um, you know, 19 years is nothing compared to eternity. So. Any questions for Carrie? I don't have to take them all. No, it was on Highway 60, just there, Cedar Gap Hill, if you ever threw there. So. All right, well, it's a privilege to be here with you all, and um, wish you God's blessing, and pray for us as we go on from here.